Good evening. Thank you to the choir. That was a great message for tonight. It's good to be with you on this Ash Wednesday. My name is John Annenson. I lead the ministry at City Branch, which is Hope's satellite in the city. And we are excited about what God is doing in us and through us there. And so we invite you to come worship with us at some point. Well, can you believe it? We are on the coattails Hopefully, if today is any indication of winter, and uh, that's something to be excited about, and, and heading towards spring, and in many traditions within the church, that means that the season of Lent is upon us. Easter is not far away, and with that season comes many traditions. And if you've, if you've been around Hope for a while, you know that we worship God, not tradition. Yet in those places where tradition helps us proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, and further the ministry of hope, we embrace it. And so you might say, well, Lent is a a tradition from Scripture, right? It's it's right there in my Bible if I open it up. Well, sorry to say tonight that you're not going to find a thou shalt celebrate Lent command uh, in Scripture, but instead, Lent, or this time of preparation leading up to Easter and the resurrection of Jesus, actually began as a tradition of the followers of Jesus hundreds and hundreds of years ago to prepare their hearts for Easter. And so they would fast for 40 hours, and then they changed it to seven days, which we know as Holy Week, and eventually the church made it a 40-day tradition, representing Jesus' time of prayer and fasting in the desert. And so the, the church has now celebrated this tradition for hundreds of years, and at least that's the Reader's Digest version. And so today is the beginning of this journey of Holy Week towards Easter, towards the cross, and towards the empty tomb. We have this great reminder of that journey we're going to be taking uh, through Lent here, this, this idea of death to life, towards new life in Jesus as we draw near. Ash Wednesday, as we know it, is also steeped in tradition, this journey of Lent moving towards the cross, and, and the, the heart of this day, the, the heart of Ash Wednesday, is that we're called to be ready, is that we're called to prepare. And so acknowledging our, our sin and our mortality is a big part of that. And later on in communion, we'll see how the idea of ashes reminds us of this fact that we are all human, and these earthly bodies are only temporary. The heart of this day is steeped in tradition, but more importantly, the heart of this day is that we are people that are in need of a Savior because of our sin, and that Jesus is that perfect and wonderful Savior that we can celebrate during Lent. The Savior who we'll be, who we'll be reading about as we move into the Gospel of John, those of you that have been going through the year of the Bible with us here at Hope, will be moving into the Gospel of John and reading these stories about this Savior we have. And so in light of Holy Week, over the years, Many of you probably know that uh, traditions have come about out of that where followers of Jesus will abstain from uh, certain things to give up various desires or addictions or habits. Uh, If Lent is a time of acknowledging our sin and making room for God's love, then we should abstain from those things that that we hold on to and those other things that that we run to to look for life instead of Jesus. And maybe you're a part of this tradition, and that's great. And, and maybe Lent for you is a time when you uh, give up certain habits, uh, abstain from certain foods or pleasures, and maybe it's, for you it's one Starbucks a day instead of two. Or maybe it's that beloved chocolate that you're having to give up now for these 40 days. Maybe it's, it's texting. Some of you that are parents of teens 
maybe are encouraging that. Maybe it's uh, the computer. For me, it's giving up. For me, this year, it's giving up hope that my beloved Hawkeyes will be playing in the NCAA tournament come March, but that's another story. But, but not to make light of it, for many, this tradition is very important, and it's very powerful for them. But at the same time, for, for, for some, it can become legalistic. And keeping the rule becomes more important than the heart of the matter. Because it is about the heart. It is about what's on the inside. And so tonight I want to ask you, what is it that you really need to let go of? What is it that you really need to give up this year, not just during Lent, but for good? All those other things are, are well and good, but I have a feeling that for most of us, it's deeper than that. What do you need to let go of? You see, God is most of all concerned with our hearts. In our scripture reading in Psalm 51, the passage we heard read is a prayer from the depths of a heart. And not just any heart, but that of King David. Oh yes, you know him as a great biblical hero. He defeated the giant Goliath and he, he led the armies of God in many great victories. The Bible even says that David was a man after God's own heart. David understood the heart is the central matter here, that God is after our hearts. But it's here in this psalm that we find our great hero, David, possibly at his lowest point. We find that underneath the exterior of a man who looks like he has it all together is a man who realizes that he is, I believe the technical term here is, busted. Have you ever been there? So completely, utterly broken and ashamed in your sin? Well, the backstory is, if you don't know the story, is that when he should have been out to war leading the armies of God, King David decided to stay home this time. And it's during this time that he wasn't doing the mission that God had called him to do that he was tempted by his own sinful desires and actually went to bed with another man's wife, Bathsheba. And not only that, but later on we find that David, in his desire to cover up his sin, and we've all been there too, actually arranges for the husband of this woman to be killed in battle. What? Is, are we talking about the same David here? Adultery? Murder? Lying? You can read it in 2 Samuel. What happened to David's heart? Well, soon after, God sends a loyal friend, Nathan, to confront David, to rebuke him for his actions. And it's here we find, we find that David comes face to face with his sin. And it sets the stage now for us for Psalm 51. It's a psalm of desperation. It's a prayer from the depths of David's heart. And so we have a few verses from that psalm. Let's read these together. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. There's no hiding anymore. David's sin is real. Our sin is real and it brings deep pain. David knew that above all, 
God is concerned with the heart, and it's from his heart, from the very depths of his being, that he just pours out his heart to God and asks for forgiveness. And Ash Wednesday is a time that's set aside for a prayer like David's. Because we've all been there. Maybe it's not adultery or murder like David, but we're all in the same boat. You see, that's the power of Scripture. That's the power of a psalm like this is because we can all identify deep down in our hearts. The truth for us tonight is that all, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God as we read in Romans 3. We've all missed the mark. Not one of us tonight sits here innocent. And even though it's a difficult truth to face, I think it's important that we don't just skip over this and move on with our journeys during Lent because I'll be honest with you, I'd much rather be preaching up here at Easter because it's a lot more happy and we're all in a celebration mood and you all just came in, you were eating bacon and sausage and pancakes and it's April and our coats are off and it's great, but instead, we're here and we have to sit in the truth of our sin. But it's our great need that leads us to a great savior. It's the bad news that brings about the good news. And as Martin Luther said, it's, it's the law that shows us our sin and points us to the good news of the gospel. What do you need to let go of? Not just for six weeks, but what does God really want to renovate in your heart? For David, it was that weight of his sin. It was the darkness of his guilt. What is it for you tonight? Is it that thing that you've tried, that, that, that habit, that addiction that you've tried to overcome time and time again on your own power, but you just can't do it? Maybe it's the mistakes that you've made in your past that you're sitting here with tonight that maybe nobody else knows about except your creator. Maybe it's that anxiety and that fear that you have right now that wonders if God is really going to provide for you and your family. Ash Wednesday is a time for renovation. It's a time to come clean. It's a time to cry out to God as David did and admit we can't make it on our own. I don't believe that it's a mistake this year that as we've heard that our uh, Lenten project is all of hope. North Branch, City Branch, West Des Moines is hopeless. And as you see from the materials on stage, that it's, it's, it's a time of clearing out. It's a time of decluttering our lives a little bit. Those things that we don't need to hold on to any longer. The things that are getting in the way. And the, the things that we need to come clean with. And whether it's those sorts of things or whether it's these sorts of things, that's what Lent is about. It's a time for letting go and letting God be who he is. And that's a perfect Savior, the one that has come tonight to heal and to forgive. But the problem for many of us is that we never reach a point where we can finally cry out from the depths of our heart like David did. Sometimes it takes us so long to admit that we're broken. Growing up, my brother and I loved the game of Monopoly. Do we have any Monopoly fans? Anyone? Okay, a few. Good, excellent. Well, 
when I, I think that my brother and I actually started playing Monopoly way before we were supposed to. You know, it says on the side of the box when you're supposed We didn't do that. We just started playing it right away. And we would just sit and play this game together for hours. We would spread it out all over the living room floor. And my brother would be the shoe, and I would be the horse. And we were the same thing every time, because those were our lucky tokens. But he, the, the truth of the matter is this. I don't know when I finally came to my senses, but at some point, after playing this game for years... I finally realized I had never actually won. <laughs> not, not once had I ever beaten my brother. And these games, but they would still, they would drag on for days and days at a time. And in the end, I just couldn't win. And I remember this attitude that would rise up inside of me every time, though, deep down inside, I knew it was over. But I couldn't admit it. I didn't want to give up. And I remember I would have, sometimes I would have like $12 to my name, which in Monopoly money, you know, is like nothing. And, and all my property is mortgaged, okay? And my brother has hotels and houses all over the place, okay? And we'd be going along. And then I'd land on Boardwalk. And he's got, you know, five hotels on it or something just because he's trying to rack up the money. And I can't pay this. I know I can't pay this. And I need to pay him $1,000. But what do I do? Oh, no, 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 no. I'll make it work. I'll make it work. I can do this. I've got it. It's not over yet, but deep down inside I knew, it's, it's over. I have no hope of winning. And my brother would say, okay, John, I think this is really it. I think the game's over. And I would remember, I would get so angry, and I would slam my fist down on the board and scatter the pieces, and I would say, man, I hate losing. I hate losing. Why is it so hard for us to admit that we can't do it on our own? Why is it so hard for us to surrender our need to be right, to have it all together? Because it's, it's so much easier, just like for me, it's so much easier for us to go around and around the board trying to make it on our own. But for many of us, for all of us, it's not a game. Life is not a game. It's real. And our sin and our guilt, and our shame, and our fear are real. I needed to let go. I needed to let go of the illusion that I could make it on my own. And Ash Wednesday is a reminder of that, that we are far from perfect, and that because of our brokenness, we need help. Jesus once told a story, maybe you're familiar with, about two opposite people. One who essentially said, there is nothing wrong with me, and one who said, there's everything wrong with me. One of them represents what Lent isn't, and one of them represents what Lent is. You can find it in Luke 18, uh, verse 9, if you have your Bibles, if you want to follow along. Luke 18, verse 9. Two men, Jesus said, went up to the temple to pray, a Pharisee and a tax collector. Remember, the Pharisees were people who lived good, clean lives. But the tax collectors were the people that swindled and intimidated others out of their money. Both of them came to church, though, that day. Both of them came to the temple to pray. And so the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, that I am not like robbers and evildoers and adulterers, and finally, I thank you that I am not like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give all that I have, I give a tenth of all I get away. 
And maybe you can sum up his prayer as, God, I thank you that there's really nothing wrong with me. But then Jesus turns our attention and focuses it on the tax collector in the story. The opposite of the Pharisee. He had been stealing money from people his whole life. You might say that his life was a complete disaster. He knew that his whole life was a disaster and that for that he deserved punishment for his sin. Jesus said that the tax collector stood at a distance, that he, that he, he wouldn't even get close to the temple, that, that he wouldn't even look up to heaven to pray because he was so ashamed of his guilt. And that he beat his chest and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. His prayer was the opposite of the Pharisees. And maybe you can sum, sum it up as, God, there's everything wrong with me. Help. Do you see the difference in the posture of their hearts? One is living under the illusion that everything is okay, and the other one, the tax collector, has taken off all the masks, and he says, God, if you don't have mercy on me, if you don't come for me, I don't think I'm going to make it. One says, I can make it on my own. Another one says, I need grace like the air I breathe. In a little while, during our celebration of communion, you're going to have a sign of the cross made on your forehead with a little bit of ashes, and it's simply saying just that. Jesus, I need your grace. I need your forgiveness, and I want to remember tonight that you are the only one that can give me life. It's about the heart. It's about admitting that we're desperate. David knew that in our scripture tonight. The tax collector knew that in the story. Don't forget that. Don't forget the one who's given you life. And it's not just, it's not just about a, a posture. It's about, it's about a heart. It's about the realness that this is going on inside of us. And so I've been thinking a little bit about postures, not just postures of the heart, but physical postures. And I was a guest speaker in a college classroom a few months ago, and I noticed the postures of these students, and not just physically, but with their hearts and with their attitudes. And to be honest... There wasn't a lot of good posture in the room. In fact, there wasn't just a lot of, there wasn't any energy at all. And it was very evident when the attendance was taken. And it got me thinking, and some of you that are in education might find this humorous, it got me thinking about how the posture of students changes as they grow up throughout school. I mean, think with me for a second. First day of school, first grade. Attendance is being taken, okay? They almost leap out of their chair. I mean, Bobby Sue, I'm here, I'm here, yes, that's me, that's me. They're so excited to be there. And then, well, you know, fifth grade, they're still, still pretty eager, you know, Bobby Sue. Yeah, I'm here, I'm here. And then begins the downward slide. <laughs> Eighth grade. <laughs> yeah, I'm here, because they're just so tired, you know. <laughs> Sophomore year. Yep. Senior year. Hey. <laughs> but what happens to their posture? What happened to their posture? What happened to their attitudes? But see, this isn't just a, a question about, about students sitting in class. This is far beyond that. What's your posture lately? What's the posture of your heart? Is it, I'm doing all right. I'm good. 
Or is it, yeah, I'm here, but my past, that's off limits. Or is it, yeah, I'm here, and man, Jesus, I need you so much. Because you're my only hope. And I'm not going to make it without you. Is the posture of your heart like David's and the tax collector? Have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. Is it, is it like the majority of the Psalms that you're going to be reading in your Bible? They're just cries out to God saying, God, if you don't come, if you don't come and rescue me, I don't think I'm going to make it. And so we're asked that question on Ash Wednesday and actually all throughout the season of Lent. What's the posture of your heart? Is it slumped over in guilt and shame? Is it hardened and in no need of grace? Or is it receptive to a Savior? David, later on in the psalm in verse 17, realizes this is God's desire. It's not about sacrifices. It's not about climbing the ladder and keep running on the treadmill and trying to be a better and a better and a better and a better person. Well, this time I'm going to get it right. It's about having a heart that says, I want to change, but I know that I can't do it on my own. It's a heart that's willing to admit a need. We're called to live with hearts that are overwhelmed by the grace of God. But there's a difference here. We're not called to live a life of guilt and shame, but at the same time, we're not called to live a life of this self-righteous pride that says, I don't need any help because I've got it all together. It's a posture that sees the seriousness of our sin, but that sees it in light of the love and the grace of a Savior. That's what Ash Wednesday is about. It's, a, it's, about a, it's about a posture of the heart that says, I know that even though that I will die, I will live, that no matter t- how many times I could go around and around that board and acquire all the men- money and possessions and power and position that I could, when the game is over, it all goes back in the box. And that's the similarity with our lives. When the game is over, it all goes back in the box. It's a posture that says we were made to live for more than what just goes back. and that We were made to live outside of the box. We were made to live for things that are beyond this world, for things that are eternal. Because what good is it if we gain the whole world, yet lose our soul? Yes, this is a time of repentance and confession. And it's not always easy to do. But what's on the other side of that? Do we... Do we come clean in the grace and love of Jesus just so that we can run back to the same old things? Do we admit our sins so that we can just sit here tonight and think, I'm such a horrible person? Absolutely not. The Apostle Paul tells us, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And again, therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. There is no room for guilt or shame. You can be free. And as David says, create in me a clean heart, O God. And he does. Jesus is always, always true to his promises. Tonight we're going to celebrate Holy Communion together. And as you come forward, just... 
Don't rush. Just spend some time thinking about those questions. What is it that you really need to let go of? What is it that you really need to get rid of? How is the posture of your heart tonight? And if, even if you don't know where to start, that's okay. Just pray like David. And if you don't know what else to pray, just say help. That's all that God needs to hear. And he is ready and willing to meet you wherever you're at tonight. It's in the Lord's Supper, it's in Holy Communion that we meet the Savior, that we meet the forgiver of sins, that we meet Jesus. And as we go on this Lenten journey, Jesus says to us tonight, it's time to let go. It's time to live outside of the box for more than this world has to offer. Faith is not for those who've got everything figured out. Faith is not for those who have all their ducks in a row and their lives are nice and shiny and perfect. Faith is for those who have reached the end of their rope and admit, God, if not for you, I am not going to make it. I want to end the message tonight with a short video about an ultimate act of dependence. Team Hoyt is a father and son team that has competed in countless numbers of marathons and triathlons, and they've, they've even climbed mountains together. The amazing thing is that Rick, the son, was born as a spastic, quadriplegic, cerebral palsy, non-speaking child. For the past 25 years or more, Dick, the father, has pushed and pulled his son across the country over hundreds of finish lines. When Dick runs, Rick is in a wheelchair that Dick is pushing. When Dick cycles, Rick is in a seat pod from his wheelchair on the front of the bike. And when Dick swims, Rick is in a small boat being pulled by his father. And as you watch this story tonight, don't just think about a triathlon. Don't just think about a father and his son. Consider your own need. Consider your own dependence on a Savior that tonight is ready to come and walk beside you and carry you in his arms if need be and pull you along and walk beside you every step of the way. Consider your dependence on your Father in heaven. Let's take a look. the sun where to stand in the morning and who told the ocean you can only come this far and who showed the moon where to hide till
Let that be the truth that rings true tonight. Our Redeemer lives. And we have the opportunity to admit, just like Rick, <laughs> there's no way that I can do it on my own. We're broken and we're needy. But we are loved and forgiven by the God of the universe. 
We are loved and forgiven by a Father in heaven that will not only carry us through this Lenten journey, but wants to carry you through life. Would you pray with me? Jesus, tonight we just want to say thank you. And even though it's hard for us to admit sometimes, we can't do it on our own. So Jesus, would you come and would you be very near to every single one of us tonight? And as we experience you in the Lord's Supper, God, I ask that you would speak deep into our hearts and that you would show us those things that we need to let go of, the things we need to give up, the things that only you through us can we overcome. Jesus, we thank you and for coming and doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. We thank you that it's not even about what we can do, it's about what you've already done for us. Jesus, we thank you for your love and we thank you that you carry us like a father as we come to you with all our sin and our garbage and our failure and our guilt and our shame and you come to us tonight in the midst of it all and you say, I love you. And now it's in your holy and precious and risen name that we pray. Amen.